Hi, this is Reverend Andrew, and this is a recently recorded episode uh, based on my reflection on my attendance of the EFAC USA, that's Evangelical Fellowship in the Anglican Communion, on a recent conference they had in Dallas on the theme of evangelism. And I just wanted to add here in the final edits that I did pronounce all the words that I intended and hoped that I pronounced right correctly. And so there was no butchering of names or Greek New Testament terms in this episode. And so um, I can be assured that um, I, I know what I'm talking about once in a while. There's one more thing I wanted to add that didn't make it into the show. Um, Dr. Ashley Knoll, who is a speaker for this conference, one of the, the key speaker really, um, said something that I think our ministers need to hear. I think this episode is really addressed to the church and to all members of the body of Christ, but this is particular for ministers, and this is very powerful, and Dr. Noel shared this. He likes to go up to ministers and he asks them um, a question. It's like, how are you serving the church? Um, and he basically f- frames that question in some way or another, and they usually go into the listing off, the naming of uh, different programs they may have started, different efforts they've been a part of, perhaps some of their accomplishments uh, and things that um, they have uh, in store that they plan on um, starting or doing. And he said many times these are all good things, great things. But then he asks them the question, well, how is Jesus serving you? And they often just look at him like a deer in headlights, because while they know that there is ultimate truth to this question, they're never really asked that. Ministers, he says, you know, many of us, and I can relate because I'm a minister, many of us go into ministry because we have faced rejection, perhaps, in another area, past area of life, and we go into the ministry with the mentality that we are to or prove ourselves in some way. And we mistake this opportunity that we have to serve for an opportunity to prove ourselves. And really, when we ask ourselves that question, how is Jesus serving you? That is where the gospel begins. What has Christ done for you? What is he doing for you? Evangelism starts with you, and it starts with the joy of what Christ does for you out of his love. And so that's really the overarching theme of the rest of my reflection that I had on this episode, and is the reason for the title of the episode. So uh, go ahead and uh, we'll we'll start the episode, and um, excited to be sharing my thoughts and reflections on the 2021 conference in Dallas um, of EFAC USA, Evangelical Fellowship in the Anglican Communion. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever, whenever we find you. Thanks for tuning in to Doth Protest Too Much. Uh, This episode was actually uh, not going to be recorded for a few more days, but I could not contain the excitement. Um, And so we are going to go ahead, or I'm going to go ahead and uh, do it now. So we'll see how this goes. Um, I was going to rehearse a little bit and refine my notes, but this episode is about my recent uh, partaking and attending of the EFAC USA um, annual conference. And EFAC USA, of course, we'll get a little more into it, but stands for Evangelical Fellowship in the Anglican Communion. Uh, EFAC USA is is the uh, USA branch of EFAC Global, Evangelical Fellowship in the Anglican Communion um, Global Network. So, um, 
It is a group that uh, basically I'll just read from their website, uh, kind of their goals and mission. Uh, one is to encourage and provide training for biblical preaching and teaching in the Episcopal and Anglican churches, to foster fellowship among evangelicals in the Anglican and Episcopal churches, and to promote cooperation among all who recognize the ultimate authority of Scripture in matters of faith and practice, uh, to teach and practice evangelism as a biblical priority, to foster liturgy and worship consistent with the gospel, excuse me, and to encourage committed, gifted evangelicals to enter full-time ministry and to support and encourage them during their training and first placement. <clears throat> so, and I think it'd be helpful if you, um, before we got into that, to really explain what we mean, what they mean, and what is um, meant, I believe, in this context of the use of the word evangelical. Evangelical, understandably today, carries a lot of uh, baggage. Um, some people see it as a uh, sociological term or more a sociopolitical term that refers to a particular socio-religious or socio-political group with a particular political partisan allegiance and whatnot. Uh, but I would caution against seeing evangelical in those terms. Uh, certain census and polling data often will use the term evangelical to basically lump and include any Christian that doesn't fit definitely into Roman Catholic or classification or under the classification of a mainline Protestant. Um, so there's a huge diversity and swath of uh, churches, denominations, and kind of you know, groups that get kind of lumped under evangelicals and kind of a catch, used as a catch-all for lots of things and not always the, the best of things. Um, as far as evangelicals, I see it. Uh, I, I see evangelical as from the, the uh, Greek word, which I butcher a lot, but I'll give it a try, euangelion. Um, my, my New Testament scholars can correct me on that. It's been a little, bit, little while since I took Greek, though I did have fun taking Greek. And that word, that original Greek word, um, originally meant the good news, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the saving news of Christ for us. And so... And that is the original context in which Luther used it. Of course, he used the German word uh, evangelisch, uh, in which many Protestant churches in Germany are still called. They're not really called Lutheran, um, except when maybe when Anglosphere North Americans refer to a certain church over there, uh, well, well, we may call it Lutheran. But so, and this word basically is uh, the way Luther saw it was still based on its classical definition. Today, there are indeed many evangelicals, I would say, uh, spread across denominations. So they may have different political allegiances, and I think um, there is room for you know, many types of political views in the church and the toleration of them. Um, insofar as they, the center, uh, insofar as our true allegiance is, of course, to God, to Christ, and which transcends, um, of course, any type of temporal concern and ideology. And so uh, that is how we use the word evangelical. In EFAC USA, uh, Evangelical Fellowship in the Anglican Communion, is a group of evangelicals uh, mainly within the Episcopal Church and also uh, the Anglican Church of North America. And um, I know some have, I've heard some criticism of it because it includes both of these groups. Of course, for a history of Anglican Church of North America, that's a recently formed denomination, relatively speaking, um, of people that for uh, various reasons could not uh, see themselves uh, uh, being a part of the Episcopal Church any longer due to differences over certain issues um, that were addressed. And some people in the Episcopal Church who disagreed on those uh, decided to stay, and uh, we're not going to really go so much into those details in this episode. Um, we trust and pray that God works with every single person, um, and everyone is on a journey, and everyone um, finds themselves in a place in their life, in their faith community, um, where God has led them to. And uh, 
for instance, and a lot of people in the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Church in North America even came to those churches um, before, after, or in no connection to those disputes and debates um, that kind of characterized uh, um, not too long ago, just uh, the late 2000s and the early to mid-2010s, I would say, um, where those differences were really pronounced and, and uh, the moments were more heated. In fact, I give thanks that EFAC USA is the only setting I can actually think of um, be outside of a couple seminary settings where both people from the Episcopal Church and the people from the Anglican Church of North America um, were together. And uh, I thank God for that, and I rejoiced in that. I felt such a strong sense of fellowship um, during the conference. Uh, it was a good 50-50 uh, split between those respective church bodies. Um, I, sp I remember spending lunches and dinners after the conference uh, at a table with um, people from both groups, and uh, and so that was very exciting for me. Um, I like to see how the gospel can bring people together and how Jesus has the power to do that. And uh, if that is not communion, I don't know what is. And so... Um, EVAC USA's conference this past year, well, last week, the theme was on evangelism. And you'll notice that the title of this episode um, is uh, Evangelism is About Me. And of course, um, I wanted to be a little provocative in that because normally when we think of evangelism, we think of, uh, you know, this get to work mentality. Um, don't, this isn't just about you and your comfort and what, how the church is feeding you. You have to go out, <clears throat> spread this news in order to make more believers, to feed and nourish more people. And so, and that certainly is the charge of the Great Commission, which Christ gives us. And uh, certainly that is what um, evangelism is in its plain sense. But evangelism isn't, and I think the conference stressed this, while there are strategies, while there are methods, while there are programs related to the um, related to evangelism, the conference stressed that is it is not necessarily programmatic or uh, an outgrowth of the church or a um, one of many side programs of the church. While the central thing being like Sunday worship, no evangelism is something that should be a part of each of us as we have all received the good news and how do we celebrate that joy just in our every moment of our lives. And that should in essentially be a part of our lives in such a way that it influences our interactions and how we can maybe share that joy with others. And really it's, it's where does evangelism start? Um, is it lofty goals? Well, perhaps uh, we could, church can arrive to something that we would have initially thought was a lofty goal, but really is initially the celebration of the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, like the word evangelical, it's good news. Good news for you. Good news for me. And that is something that I think this conference did such a well done, good job uh, emphasizing that the gospel um, is for me and the gospel is for you. And the gospel is, of course, the saving news of Jesus Christ. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of times I feel in uh, certain church functions and gatherings I've been to where we may have discussed mission or the gospel or the future of the church, sometimes in settings where all this, it just seems so bleak and, um, there was a lot of unknown ahead and whatnot, and it's so, so easy to feel despair in those times, to to worry about the future of our church. Um, anyone who's been a part of the Episcopal Church for longer than a day knows, um, and who's active in it, knows that this is a part, not just the Episcopal Church, but so many churches today are just struggling with the future of the church, even the mere survival of the church, Right. And while I think there's a place for concern, we know how the story ends. The Bible tells us how it ends. The Bible gives us hope. 
we have a hopeful ending. And because the last word, we know who has the last word, that should be reason for us to rejoice. One aspect, again, that I also liked about this conference is that um, with several of the speakers, and one in particular, and we'll get more into what he talked about uh, shortly, was Dr. Ashley Knoll, who's a Thomas Cramner scholar. He's one of the leading uh, experts on the life and work of Thomas Cramner, who, of course, is the English reformer and pioneer, so to speak, of the prayer book tradition, the prayer book we use in our worship as Episcopalians and Anglicans. But what I liked about um, Ashley Knoll's talk was that it wasn't even about Cramner at all. Well, I would have loved to talk on Cramner and a lot of the us theology nerds, which I won't single out or name names, but definitely include myself and include some others, I suspect, who took part in this conference, um, even though we would have loved to talk like that. Um, Ashley actually spoke to his experience as a um, chaplain to Olympic athletes, and he tied that in beautifully to a larger talk on just our culture right now. Our culture, as he said it, and I've seen it, many commentators refer to our culture as this before, but it is a performance culture. It is a performative culture. And while there's always been an aspect of that to human existence, um, right now we see that kind of tied to um, very much a high morality culture right now. Um, And I don't mean to get into the um, who's who's truly at fault for what, and if this is a left thing or a right thing, though I think it implicates all of us in a certain extent. But in our morality culture, that is very much fueled by um, getting followings and getting likes, because we all want to be good people. I don't know anyone, unless you're a sociopath, who doesn't want to be a good person. I mean, even the most debased or cynical person um, ultimately wants to, at the end of the day, be seen or uh, be known to not be doing the wrong bad thing. <laughs> or, you know, uh, everyone wants to, to, to do good. And um, a lot of our messaging in our culture right now is very concerned about um, the right thing and the good thing and the just thing. Unfortunately, this has also led to um, types of, you know, interactions that are, um, have been reduced almost to culture war caricatures. Twitter, for instance, which is a toxic place. I don't hang out there. Uh, our podcast has a page there and I make sure we share our, um, <laughs> we share our episodes and everything on there, uh, to get followers. And we definitely get some through Twitter, but I don't personally go on it. But Twitter is basically a forum where you know, your character space is limited. And so you can't say or type too much. And so we're tempted to kind of type zingers and anyone who's familiar with Twitter and how it operates is, you know, has seen that. And then also just, it's not to single out any platform. It's all social media. Social media can tempt us. It can tempt us to um, build ourselves up at the expense of someone else, whether that is through uh, insulting people, whether that's through um, kind of ganging up, gaining up on people. Um, this happens. Um, and I am as guilty as anyone on this. And it's something I, that I and we must repent of. And so this is definitely has, has contributed all the more to a culture where it seems like everything is at stake. And in such a tense type of setting like that, where is the gospel? Where's the gospel of grace first off? And how, you know, don't we need to be reminded in this type of setting that we are saved, that we can have hope? that Christ has the last word and that ultimately God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. I uh, think if anyone were to 
just turn on the news or scroll a social media feed. It's easy to kind (laughs) of maybe even lose hope in humanity um, because we can be just really such bad, nasty people sometimes. It's what we call low anthropology. You know, I know a lot of people object to the Christian understanding or view of original sin, but I don't understand um, how um, how it could be explained in any other way. We have all um, inherited this very real tendency and capability that we've all given into at some point or another to be just not the best, <laughs> to put it nicely. All of us have been at our worst at some point. All of us have said something. All of us has done something that would just, you know, it would just uh, be totally embarrassing if it ever got out. All of us have said or done something that um, we wish to God we could take back, but we can't. You know, I've listened to a podcast uh, episode, I don't remember what podcast, where an evolutionary biologist was on talking about um, the need society has always had for the mechanism for forgiveness. Of course, that's secular language. Um, it can easily be translated into religious language. But the notion of forgiveness, the notion of grace, has easily been uh, there's a there's a it's, there's a vacuum really in our culture where all the grace has been sucked out in many ways. And this conference with the speakers, including Dr. Ashley Knoll and several others, really just um, said a lot of things that I just needed to hear personally. I needed to hear for myself, um, and I felt that others needed to hear. People are just being dragged around today. We are just beating each other up. And to even extend even a little bit of the grace to each other that God has given us could really make just a world of our difference, world a world of a difference. And so I want to thank EFAC for um, putting on such a great conference. I want to thank Reverend Zach Neubauer, the president of the board, as well as all the members of the board and all the, the several friends I made when I was there. It was the most inspiring, moving, and spiritually nourishing um, and, uh, had the greatest sense of fellowship of just any type of, um, of gathering I've been to in, in quite a while. And so I want to thank, um, EFAC for putting that on. So at this conference, we had several speakers, um, and I might mispronounce his name, Glenn Shrivener, Shrivener, who, um, is originally from Australia. He's lived in the UK for uh, more than half his life, and he was a curate at All Souls Church Eastbourne, um, where he still worships. And he has been an evangelist at Speak Life, and he became the director of it in 2014. He uh, did several. He could not uh, get to the U.S., get to Dallas. This is where the conference was in order to do the uh to, to do the, almost said the podcast, to do the conference, but he did send in, he did video in and give talks and he attended and he said some great things about, um, a different way of looking at evangelism. That's actually more biblical. And that really starts with us, starts with ourselves. Um, we had Carrie Bourne Headington speak, who, uh, is an evangelist for the Christian faith, founder of the founder of the good news, um, uh, which I don't know what that is. I'll have to check that out, but she's the founder of it, and she's uh, the canon evangelist for the Episcopal Diocese of Dallas. Uh, Impressive uh, pedigree, I would say, with degrees from Yale, Harvard, and Oxford, so uh, the most credentialed person there by by far. And um, we had Herb Bailey, who uh, is the executive ministry director of the Uncommon Grounds Cafe, a ministry of Church Army USA. He's the Pittsburgh area director for Church Army USA, an outreach serving a diverse community through food, arts, street ministry, jail ministry, training of churches, and community development. 
We also had as a speaker Dr. Ashley Knoll, who I mentioned a moment ago. And we had uh, some breakout sessions hosted by such people as Charlie Holt, who's the founder of Bible Study Media, Richard Crocker, who's um, a Christian educator and teacher and chaplain at Christian School of Fairfax, Virginia. Um, we had um, also Jessica and Scott Coleman who are music coordinators, who did the music for the conference. They did a uh, talk on worship. Um, and then we also, um, oh my gosh, that is that is actually all of them. We had several others, and we also got preaching from the uh, Episcopal Bishop, George Sumner of Dallas, at the opening. Um, and so it was a good lineup of speakers, and but also just a great... Uh, just a lot of great people that attended, uh, lay and ordained, and again from um, several church bodies, primarily the two of the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Church of North America. And so, uh, what is uh, an Anglican evangelical? I guess we we talked about the term evangelical before. Well, I would do want to refer. I'll speak a little bit to it, but I do want to refer our listeners to an episode uh, that we did. Uh, way back, I'm thinking of republishing re, uh, it as a replay, and it's re, it's called uh, the the Word of God does the work of God, uh, and that is an episode where we actually had Zach Newbauer, the um, Reverend Zach Newbauer, the president of EFAC USA. This was about um, early early 2021, so in the early years of the podcast, and so uh, we had him on. I encourage you to listen to that episode. Um, but in just to kind of reiterate though, an Anglican evangelical is someone, um, who particularly has a, sees themselves as an heir of the Reformation, uh, the English Reformation, particularly, uh, an Anglican evangelical, um, or an Episcopal evangelical, you could say an evangelical who's Episcopalian or an Anglican. Um, first off, they they uh, they kind of stick out because we don't often associate the term evangelical with Episcopalian or Anglican circles. But an evangelical in that setting uh, may not fit every single um, um, stereotype any evangelical we may have in our mind. But as someone who uh, emphasizes uh, the lineage of Anglicanism to the Reformation, and in that lineage. We see the carrying on of the tradition, the Catholic tradition, I would say, as in the universal Christian tradition, as well as um, the emphasis on the centrality that grace has in our faith, and that if we are not preaching the gospel of grace, if we are not preaching against performance culture, if we are not preaching against the notion that we need to get right with God, and it has to come through our efforts and life. If we're not preaching against that notion, um, we well, we need to be. But if we're not preaching against that, then we're not actually preaching the gospel, which is so radical and it's so scandalous that it offends often our human ears uh, because it is hard for humans to accept radical grace, something God freely gives you through nothing you do on your own. Um, this was a message that <clears throat> changed my life um, not very long ago. I was in seminary um, reading Luther really for the first time ever, even though I was raised in Missouri Synod Lutheran. <laughs> And um, particularly, I was reading his commentary on the letter to Galatians, which carries so much that message. And um, so if it, it's anyways, that is um, really the emphasis of an evangelical Anglican. Liturgically, we might like traditional hymnody, like I do, or they might gravitate more towards contemporary worship. Um which has its place in many worship settings, um, and including that was more so what we had at the conference. Um, 
but that uh, that is in a nutshell, I guess, um, an Anglican evangelical. The emphasis on the good news, um, the good news which transforms us, and out of thankfulness and gratitude, we share joyously that good news to others because it transforms our lives. And the theme of this, the evangelism theme that we had at this conference, um, like I said, it it's ultimately about you. Uh, it's not, you know, the onus is on you. You have to do this. You have to do that. No, that's not the gospel of grace. <clears throat> the gospel of grace is that God loves you. And I want you to hear that despite the, when you feel at your weakest point, the spirit still searches the heart and intercedes for us in our weakest points. Even when we were at our um, points where we feel inadequate, where we feel not all together, where we question things, where we um, um, stare at an unknown future, um, wanting and knowing that we should have hope, but for some reason you're feeling like you don't. There is someone with power to give you that hope and to carry you through that. He doesn't give you, uh, you know, penicillin shot in the arm or a steroid shot in the arm, trying to use an analogy, and to tell you to go on your way, give you a little bit of strength until the next time you need some more. And that's not what Christ does. He literally carries you every moment of your life. And that was the, is the message of true evangelicalism. And that's the message of the reformers. That's the message of St. Paul. That's Jesus Christ's message. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will refresh you. And so I want, you know, us all to, you know, not that you have to do what I want. Um, you don't even have to listen to me at all, but <laughs> um, I think that I myself, um, I want to rejoice in that. And um, we as Christians ought to rejoice in that because that's life changing. And so um, more about the conference. And I do want to share some of the things that were <clears throat> said by some of the speakers. And before we do that, um, I want to give a little update on the, on the podcast. So we have recently moved over to uh, Anchor um, for our platform hosting. Uh, I just, uh, we are at the I was at the point where uh, this uh, we could have benefited from the features that they offer, um, and it's free. And uh, so, look, for, you may in the near future be hearing some uh, self-made ads from me for Anchor that will uh, pop up in the middle of episodes for you know it'd be like a minute or so long, and then before the episode resumes, that's common in a lot of podcasts. <clears throat> and so that's what's going to happen. <laughs> that's what's going to happen on Doth Protest too much. Um, our next episode of the guest is November 12th. We are going to have Dr. David Nelson, um, who is a editor for Baker Academic at Brazos Press and um, also uh, is professor at Institute of Lutheran Theology. Um, he's going to be on to talk about the late uh, Dr. Uh, Eberhard Jungel, uh, German theologian, uh, mid to late 20th century recently passed away um uh last month and we've been wanting to do an episode in uh as an honor and tribute uh to him uh what his contributions to theology were as uh, little known as he is in the anglosphere world as opposed to the german world um and how his his thought his theology really tied into the um um, all, many of the currents of the 20th century. And so we look forward to having Dr. Nelson on the show to uh, discuss Dr. Jungle's, the late Dr. Jungle's career um, and his, uh, his career in the academy and his, um, and his contributions to theology. And uh, we will have on November 23rd, uh, Dr. Thomas Power, who is an expert on all things millennialism. Um, so we're going to have another uh, 
episode on Apocalypse and Eschatology, which, of course, our recent episode during our Luther month, Apocalypse Soon, it was called. Uh, please encourage, I encourage you to go listen to that if you've not already, is on the uh, development of Luther's thought, the apocalyptic tenor to his thought, as well as his his views and interpretation of the book of Revelation. Uh, I did that episode based on some research I did actually not too long ago. And it's a fascinating, fascinating content. But anyways, on to, uh, so so uh, look out for those episodes as they come, and we'll be uh, re-releasing as well, or uploading replays of former episodes as we move all our episodes over to our no- new platform. Uh, they're still on the old platform for some time, uh, but they're going to be re-released. Uh, um, not all at once. I don't want to uh, confuse kind of the, <laughs> the, where, where the show is at, but uh, they'll be uh, kind of sprinkled throughout the next few months as we as we also do new episodes. And so, so um, our first speaker, I wanted to give just some highlights, highlights of a couple of speakers. I, I was not able to attend all of them, um, and especially like the breakout sessions. You had to kind of choose one of three or one of two things to attend. Uh, but some of the main ones that we were all present for, I wanted to hit on some things. And I really wanted to hit on um, uh, Carrie Headington's um uh, Carrie Heddington from the Diocese of Dallas. <clears throat> she gave some alarming stats, of course. And this is kind of the bleak aspect. <laughs> Whenever you get together and talk about future of the church, mission of the church, you're going to have some bleakness. Some of that shocked me. Um, that 90% of churches currently are experiencing divisions. A lot of this is actually over um, uh, political things and things in the past year which have been politicized pandemic related things that have been politicized that we just never you would have never guessed certain things would have been 90 percent of churches uh polled experienced divisions <coughs> excuse me um 78 percent of millennials that's my generation i think that evangelism is wrong well that's uh shocking um but, of course, what do we mean by evangelism? And I think this conference was really clarifying that. Sometimes we have caricatures of evangelism. Sometimes we confuse evangelism with proselytizing. But then there's the other extreme. We confuse evangelism with uh, just doing uh, merely service and forgetting that the message of Jesus is the reason why we do service. <clears throat> and so that was another statistic, the 78% of millennials and this is one I'm going to, um, there is a psychiatrist at a university. I don't remember, uh, the name of the university, but, uh, saw that the level of anxiety in people today, um, is the same as the, the average anxiety level today of those who suffer from anxiety is the same level as psychiatric patients from the 1950s. And this, um, was of course sad to hear kind of blew my mind but i wonder how much um of those aspects of our culture <clears throat> that we that i addressed not long ago um and how much of this on edginess contributes to that i honestly do wonder that um and so those are some of the bleak things but um and also, you know, the question of what evangelism is, the question of what formation is, um, what good formation is versus poor formation. Uh, what is true fellowship? Uh, and also, in what sense do we mean biblical when we say the church should be biblical? It was a fascinating talk, but really it boiled down to that we have to have a message. And the message, Gary said, beautifully put, has to be nothing except Jesus Christ. Because the gospel saves. We need to bring the gospel to people and meet them where they are. And we need to do this through often our own stories 
and the effect that faith has made in our own lives. But we can't ultimately dilute it. The atoning death of Jesus and nothing less is, is the good news for us. The atoning death and also the resurrection that we are already have the promise of being risen to new life and that we can have hope for the future. We need to remember that the Bible is a message and it's a story. It's not a proposition. It's a story, a true story. And, you know, I too have noticed that after the event, um, that my faith got stronger personally and as a minister (laughs) when I had, when I developed a stronger relationship with the Bible. It might surprise you, but some, you can actually get through a seminary without, uh, having much of a relationship with the Bible or reading it. But when I began to have a relationship with it, might I mean by having a greater familiarity with it, opening it, having it as a part of my life. One form, of course, is the daily office, but just referring to it more, opening it, having it as a part of my daily life and engaging with it, whether individually or together. And you really need to do both. You can't just do it individually, but also in the context of a faith community. That's when I noticed that, um, you know, in God's time, when that came, I um, became just more confident and more at peace. And, you know, our culture is very, many commentators have called post-Christian. Now in places like Dallas and some parts of the South, still culturally Christian, but in many ways, um, the Western world has become very post-Christian. And so Carrie says it needs spiritual direction. It's post-family. And so people are looking to belong. It's post-tech, she said, interestingly. And I want to clarify because I don't really know what that looks like because I know uh, the tech industry is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But even in a tech industry, in a post-tech industry, whatever that looks like, she said people are looking for interaction and real, authentic interaction. And so, and she said something that was very on point. She said no evangelism class in the New Testament. Um, there, there were no, sorry, there were no evangelism classes in the New Testament. But they couldn't help but speak about the things of Jesus that they'd seen and heard. I'll repeat that. There are no evangelism classes in the New Testament, but they could not help speak about Jesus, to things about Jesus that they had seen and heard. And I thought that was powerful because that, that once the joy and the gratitude become such a part of us and that confidence and that peace in our hearts, it's just something that pours out from us. And that's where evangelism starts before any program, before any strategy. That's where it starts. One thing she said, maybe this is a method, but I thought this was so neat. We're seeing this in the Middle East right now, that Christians are gathering in the Middle East. And remember that region of the world, of course, is not always a safe place or even a legal place. Often it can be a place where Christians are endangered. But Christians are gathering, and they're doing this practice where they look at Bible passages, and each person scribbles down three questions that they have about a scripture passage, and then they discuss those questions. And through that, they have found fellowship, and the Holy Spirit has brought them, enlightened them, illumined them, and brought them together to grow closer to God and to each other. And I think that can happen I think I know that can happen in any setting because we need that. That is the only thing that's going to give us our peace in our hearts in a culture that's so much on edge. Uh, Shrivener, sorry, Glenn Shrivener also gave in his, when he videoed in some 
uh, great talks. And I'll put in the show notes uh, <laughs> a correct pronunciation if I didn't get his last name right. And he said, you know, what's, what about the uh, maybe the elephant in the room? Well, not maybe the elephant in the room, but a very b- big reality to people as we people generally in the world that we encounter, especially the modern West, people that are kind of indifferent to faith. Maybe they're hostile toward it, you know, maybe they're uh, Richard Dawkins devotees, who knows? I think more often than not, though, as people are, you know, post-Christian, it's not something they're, um, it's just a foreign language to them, something they never looked into. Maybe it's something they're indifferent from, Right. Uh, and uh, or some pe- some of these people may have just some basic assumptions about God, right? What do we do? Do we, you know, put, throw religion in their face? What do we do? How do we handle this? Well, it kind of starts with just sharing our own story, getting to know people genuinely, but sharing our own story and the peace that we have in our hearts. And, you know, we can start by when it comes to God and the discussion of God. And when we come across just that doubt of that very basic starting premise, which you would think, you know, the way Glenn described this, he said, well, if someone says they don't even believe in God, how are you going to get to talking about Jesus, right? He got to establish that basic, you know, common ground first. Well, he said, that's not looking at it the right way. We are Christians. God is Jesus. See, we aren't arguing you know, for a philosophical, um, compelling reasoning proof or whatnot for the existence of God. Certainly that's been done before. And I think it's been done rather well in some theological or philosophical circles, but that's not what we do as Christians. What we do is we remember that God is Jesus and Jesus is a different God. He's not as Glenn said, like Aristotle's God which is often the kind of the concept of God many people have. Even many of us Christians fall for this all the time. I fall for this all the time where I feel that God is not near. He's distant. He's wrapped up in his own transcendence, so to speak. But that's not who God is. God is someone who meets with us and shares with us. He's Jesus. And Jesus is a different God um, than that uh very negative concept of God. He seeks not his own good, but pours out his own goodness, bestowing it on others. And that I tightly paraphrased. That part was almost a direct quote from Glenn. And basically it starts with Jesus. From Jesus, we can even get into the Trinity. And I can't even repeat exactly what he said on the Trinity, but I never thought someone would be able to explain the, uh, Trinity or the mystery of the Trinity so well. And so, um, I want to say rationally or sensibly, but just in a way that communicated effectively who God is and what God does for us. And he connecting in the way he did it basically is how starting with Jesus, we get to a triune God, um, which then leads us to mission. Um, because God is always giving, and he gives, he gives through his son, through the spirit. We know his son and his son walks with us. He carries us every step of the way. And that is the only way we can do our mission. So, and to kind of segue this into another speaker, Dr. Noel, Dr. Ashley Noel even said, sometimes we put the cart before the horse, so to speak. You ever see a horse <laughs> try to push a cart with his head? We cannot push this thing out on our own. Our causes, our church, our world, we can't do it on our own. We God is the one driving. And when we know that God is the one driving, when he's leading us, and we that's when we will have the peace in our hearts to know. And uh, so Dr. Noel, my, uh, he was really a, really a highlight. I'm not going to pick favorites, of course, but he was a highlight of the, of the day. And he said something really uh, that really resonated with me. I think of all the things 
um, for people who have me personally on Facebook, I posted this <laughs> paraphrase of what he said. <clears throat> Dr. Knoll uh, spoke on preaching the gospel against a performance and a performative culture. And there were so many well-put things in his talk. But this is what especially resonated me with me. He described that when he was younger, he had this idea that life as a Christian would be that as he got older, he would become wiser, more mature, make decisions that would keep getting better in a way that basically meant being more holy, or at least his idea of what being holy was. But instead of feeling that progress, he actually realized more and more as he got older how much he is unlike Jesus. But in that realization that he is unlike Jesus, he came to another realization. He needs Jesus, and that he needs Jesus more and more each day. This he described as a double movement. The more we recognize our need, the more Jesus draws us close to him. Amen to that. Because who's drawing who to whom? Is Jesus drawing us to him? It's not the other way around. We are not left in the sea drift without a captain. We are not sheep wandering without a shepherd. We have him. He has given his all for us. He has given us his righteousness. We are saints made holy through what he has done for us and is doing for us. And that is the joy of the gospel. And so... Uh, it, it was just a very um, encouraging, inspiring, moving gathering um, and a good reminder of what we are about as the church, uh, a holy reminder of who Jesus is, what he is constantly doing for you and I. And because he is doing that, we can do all things and Jesus will see it through because he has the final say. So God bless. Um, and we will see you. Uh, well, you will, we, you will hear from us when we return, uh, November 12th, uh, with Dr. Dave Nelson on the, life and career of theologian, the late Dr. Eberhard Jungle. And we look forward to uh, our future episodes. And uh, we appreciate your listenership. Um, and make sure to give us a good rating um, or an honest rating. It doesn't have to be good. We can take all ratings uh, on Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming service if it if it lets you uh, rate, rate or review um, our podcast. So God bless, take care, and, and uh, look forward to next time.